Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Dominic Knight is best known for his work with the comedy team The Chaser. In 1999, he founded The Chaser newspaper with Julian Morrow, Craig Rucastle and Charles Firth. Following on from that were the ABC television series CNNN, The Chaser Decides and The Chaser's War on Everything, the third series of which is currently airing on ABC. He has also worked extensively as a freelance writer and has blogged for the Sydney Morning Herald and also writes his own blog. His debut novel is Disco Boy, the story of Paul Johnson, a part-time DJ working in a job he hates, living with his parents and trying desperately to get his life moving. So, Dominic, thanks for joining us today. Oh, no worries. Now, you spend a lot of time doing The Chaser, and now you've written Disco Boy. Tell us where the idea came from for Disco Boy in the first place. Well, I'm not sure. I had a friend who used to work as a as a Moby Disc DJ at uni, going around doing, um, playing all manner of dodgy 21st and harbour cruises and things <laughs> like that. But I think I found that funny at the time, so that kind of stuck in my mind. But I don't know, I just had an assignment to do for a writing class at UCS, and at the last minute, this character popped into my head who was trapped in a sort of limbo playing terrible music at parties, and um, I thought it'd be fun to do, do something with him, so I did. Now, you usually write satire and comedy. How different is it to, to write something that's fictional? It's quite a different genre. Yeah, well, particularly the, the thing that I've written, which is quite a sweet romantic comedy, really. Mm. I mean, there's a few little nasty jokes here and there, but, you know, for the most part, it's quite a different um, feel from the Chaser stuff. And I really enjoyed that change, actually. But also fiction, I mean, the, the long form of it is really different. And I had to try and learn how to construct the longer narrative and mm. work on characters and all these things, because usually it's just 30-second comedy sketches. That's right. So it's usually much shorter. And even when you write for your blogs or in smh.com.au, it's a much shorter um, medium. So how did you sort of train yourself to get into writing much longer piece like a novel? Well, I had a master's degree uh, at UTS where I studied kind of narrative structure and, and the kind of narrative arc, and there's a whole lot of theory with that. But also, I guess I just kind of planned it out and wrote it. I mean, it's I've read a lot of books in this sort of genre, so I, but there are things you have to learn, like your characters have to change. You can't have them the same at the end as at the beginning. There's got to be you know, good moments, bad moments. You've got to have this sort of high and low thing going on. So, yeah, it was quite a lot to get my head around about how to make it different. So did you actually plot it out, or are you one of those writers where you just let it all come and see what happens? Well, strangely, <laughs> I kept having different university assignments where I kept having to expand it. Oh. So I did, I did 1,000 words, then 6,000, then 30, and then 60. Then mm-hmm. I almost had a novel. So I just kept kind of adding to it and kept having to add middle to it because I had a beginning and an end, and the end came too quickly. But that was all because of an assignment. So it was a bit of a weird way to do it. So it's obviously very handy that you had a series of assignments that enabled this to eventuate. 
Yeah. Did you did you have some kind of writing process or something to get you into the groove or, you know, did you have a typical writing day at all when you were working on this? Well, not really. I'm, I'm a very last minute kind of a person, which is why I did the degree, just so that I had deadlines actually force me. You know, I was paying all this money out to the federal government. I don't want to, um, I don't want to not have the work done. So I, that actually worked psychologically. But the way I write is a little, a little strange. I basically go to a cafe with a laptop and no, no internet connection, and just force myself to write. And I'm, I'm so lazy that I don't always feel like going and doing work, but I do always feel like going and having a coffee. So mm. I kind of tricked myself into, into doing that. And how much pours out, do you think, in a, in, one, in a one coffee session? Well, I normally try and write a thousand words before I go home. That's mm-hmm. normally my, my aim for a coffee session. So that's, otherwise it feels like I haven't done enough. That's not bad. Does it get longer if, you, if there's the banana bread involved or anything like that? <laughs> Sometimes it does. Yeah, gelato is a bit of a weakness in summer. So take us back to when you first started writing satire and comedy. What was appealing about founding the Chaser newspaper in the first place all those years ago? Well, there were a few strands to the original Chaser newspaper, and this isn't widely known, but it was actually supposed to be a serious newspaper in some ways. So there was this bizarre thing of, um, you know, we wanted to change the world and kind of be like National Review and, and, you know, stick it to those in power. And we never really did that through our journalism. We were far too lazy, but we did enjoy doing the satire writing. So we used to just sit around, all, we used to do all, all martyrs and try and write news articles. And that was quite a hard art to master. But um, it was really fun when you write an article that really sort of skewered something that you felt strongly about. So mm. that was a lot of fun. And we kind of taught each other and edited each other's work and went from there. Mm. And have you been surprised at how amazingly popular and successful The Chaser has become, obviously, with the television show and everything else? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, perhaps a few people at the start had kind of these wild, wildest dream scenarios going on, but I, I never thought we'd be a sort of comedy show, particularly a primetime comedy show that was um, reasonably popular uh, in, a, in a way that things like The Late Show was for us. I think we seem to be the the sort of late show of the next generation of mm. people who are a bit nerdy, a bit interested in politics and stuff as well as, and with a little bit of a cruel sense of humour, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it's been hugely surprising and, and very gratifying. And it'll probably end fairly soon, but um, <laughs> the rate we're going. But no, um, the you know, it's been a wonderful, a wonderful thing, and, and I, I'll, I'll certainly always remember it. So has your career taken the direction you expected it to take when you were at university? No, well, I was a law student, and a lot of the book actually refers to this. I, did, I went and did law, and there's this strange misapprehension in society that you have to do a serious degree if you get into one. You have to go and, you know, grow up and put a suit on and go and work long hours, and that's, that's really just an important thing that you've got to do. Mm. And it took me ages to break away from that, and but for the chase of success, I might not have. And so... The Chaser helped me to do the thing I most wanted to do, which is to write a novel. Mm. But I might well just be a, 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 another guy sitting in a, a shiny tower all day um, hoping for something better. Mm-hmm. And so you always wanted to write a novel. When this finally became a novel, when you finally knew, you know, this is it, what described that feeling? Oh, I was, I was absolutely elated. I mean, you always... You know, drawing a novel is something that everyone wants to do. Everyone wants to try that. And a lot of people think they have a novel in them and probably do, but it's a question of actually getting it out. And uh, so to actually have some, 
a solid slab of something that I could put my name on um, was very exciting. And so you describe yourself as an L-plater novelist. <laughs> what, yeah. what would it take for you to get your P's or even, you know, your full licence, do you think? Oh, well, maybe maybe, maybe a second one. Maybe if people like this one, I'll get onto my P-plates. There's, there's red P's and green P's now. So maybe I'm now on my red P's <laughs> after doing one. And if I do one or two more, maybe I'll just be on my green P's and I'll be allowed to go at 110 on the freeway. And so do you have that second novel in your head? I've got the second novel in, in my contract. Right. So there will be one, or I have to pay back money that I really don't want to pay back. Sure. But, um, yeah, I've got a few ideas that I've got to kind of talk through and work out which is the best. Um, both sort of Sydney stories, I think. I'm keen to try and describe a bit more of the world I've, I've grown up in because there aren't many novels set in Sydney, really. Will that continue the story of Paul Johnson, the part-time DJ? No, I don't think so. I never, you never know. I might return to him later, but um, no, I, I want to try something. He was in great fun, but just a good first step, I think. So, doing um, the chaser and writing—it's—it's it's a very busy time, I'm sure. How do you juggle it all? Well, it is tricky, particularly TV is unrelenting, and there's mm. nothing you can do about those deadlines. Uh, I'm lucky because I'm not. Um, on screen, so my job is to come to writers' meetings with ideas, so I have a bit more flexibility. But essentially, the novel writing happened because it was obviously a part-time hobby kind of a thing, and I had no idea that it would even get published. Mm. I kind of found free time, just a couple of hours here and there to go and do my cafe thing, often in the evening um, when the TV show was on a couple of years ago. So it is tough to juggle, but I'm hoping that for this next novel, I can actually take some couple of months to work on it a bit more intensely. You mean full-time, so that you're concentrating just on it? I don't think I could do full-time. The way I write so intense that after an hour or two, I'm completely over and want to, you know, go and do something else. So I think I could do that, maybe do that every day or most days of a week, but Mm. I don't know how anyone writes novels full-time. Apparently they do. (laughs) I think it's exhausting. When you do satire, you obviously have something to work with because you're actually commenting, making a commentary about mm. something. But when you write fiction, it's all up to your imagination. And a lot of people who are used to doing non-fiction or working with non-fiction find it hard to fire up, you know, made-up stuff. So did you find that at all or was that easy for you to conjure up this character and the stories? It's definitely a different part of your brain because, yeah, you do start with, when you're writing a satirical, say, news article, you do start with the real news articles and, and go from there. But there are some satirical articles where you kind of create a character. Mm. So, for instance, if you're writing something about someone who's determined to leave Australia after the election result, you know, it always says they're going to leave Australia if, if, if the Tories win again. Um, and then you, you have this character in your head of this kind of person who behaves in a certain way. So I guess there's there's some commonality, but with the fiction stuff, it's actually very liberating because you can make the characters do whatever you want. You can, you know, make them have good luck, bad luck, any of the things that, that you can't control in life. So I quite kind of enjoyed maybe having, it's kind of like having a little snow globe where you can control exactly what happens and how it's all built. And I really enjoyed that. And I, I don't think I found that too challenging because... Um, you know, it's, it's my own world. So it wasn't like I was trying to imagine what it would be like for a Bhutanese monk to deal with, you know, <laughs> the rainy season. It was just, just a guy in Sydney like me. So, yeah, 
it's probably not the most imaginative novel in the world. How much of you is in Paul Johnson then? And, and did you spend time behind a Moby disc to get into the groove? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, and it's been quite fun because lots of people who've done a bit of DJing have read it and said that, that I've got some of it reasonably right. But I think you can tell. If you go to enough terrible harbour cruises, you actually get a sense of what kind of music they play, and I certainly did it in. But no, look, I mean, the whole question of how autobiographical it is, I've kind of had fun with, with the publicity and the blurb and everything, because the guy is quite like me, but um, there's this whole cliche of everyone's first novel being, you know, semi-autobiographical, but you never know how semi that is. So look, I mean, none of the things that happened to him has ever happened to me, really, mm. um, but our characters are reasonably similar, I think. I didn't have to really struggle to work out how Paul would react to things because it's pretty much how I'd react. You probably knew quite a lot of Pauls. Yeah, there's a fair few Pauls at, at yeah, universities, um, sort of slightly repressed, um, cynical guys who, who hide away their, their, their sort of pure dreams of happiness. Um, so on your blog, you've written about uh, marketing your book. Oh, yes. that's, you know, an entirely new process to writing it. So uh, do you think you're getting the hang of it? How's your Facebook fan page going? Oh, look, it, you know, every other person who joins helps. <laughs> but it, no, look, it, it's interesting because there's a sense in which you think, oh, well, it should be a pure process. You know, I create my art and then I release it like a beautiful bird to <laughs> fly out into the world and, you know, travellers will find my, my lovely work. But that's not how it works at all. You've got, to, you've got to actually shift units. You've got to get it in people's faces. And there's no point writing a book that no one wants to read. Mm. I mean, it's just a, a complete piece of self-indulgence. So, plus, you know, in a, in a career sense, I'm quite keen to spend a lot of time doing this stuff because I really love it. So for that, you need sales mm. and that requires marketing. So, you know, I was, I was, even though I joke about it, I was only too happy to do whatever the publishers thought would help to, to, to sell copies because ultimately, like it or not, that is kind of what it's all about. Not in money, not in terms of income, but just in terms of getting it out there. Mm. Well, who inspires you as a writer? I've read pretty widely, but I think it's pretty clear, certainly with Disco Boy, that the, the two Nicks, as I like to call them, Nick Hornby and Nick Earls, would mm. be influences. I really love Nick Earls' um, novels, particularly Zigzag Street, his first novel, which I, is just one of the funniest books I've ever read. But also Nick Hornby looking at issues of masculinity and these kind of, um, you know, man-children characters. And I, I kind of feel like I'm one of those characters in many ways. Certainly Paul has that strange combination of worldly wiseness and, and immaturity that you find in some of the Nick Hornby heroes. Mm. So I think they were influences, but also just looking at how to make work humour into books is, is interesting. So writers like um, Kingsley Amos and P.G. Woodhouse, the kind of old great mm. English comic novelists I read a lot of, because I really think books can and should be funny where they can, and that it's great. Uh, and if a couple of people have said that they've laughed at things in the in my book, and that's a wonderful feeling because it just gives people an enjoyable experience. And obviously, you don't just want you know a joke book. I don't want to be koshy, mm. but um, but if you can work humour into a novel, I think it's a it's a great part of the mix. When you were at high school, did you enjoy English then? Was it something you discovered then, or did that come later? Oh no, I was a huge English nerd. I used to wander around and sit in cafes and read Elliot and think I was terribly intellectual. <laughs> and only Elliot understood my inner pain. 
So no, I did that whole thing. I did it at uni for a bit as well before I ultimately majored in politics. You spoke about Nick Earls. Now, he's crossed genres from adult, young adult, that kind of thing. Is that something you might be interested in, you know, down the track? Yeah, look, um, it's entirely possible. But I've read some of his young adult stuff and really enjoyed it. Um, 48 Shades of Brown, of, of, of Brown is a, a lovely book. But, um, look, I mean, that's a whole kind of career planning thing and that would be premature. After all, I'm still on my, on my LLP plates. Mm. But, look, I mean, young adult books are great if they can cut through and I'd certainly be excited to have people in that demographic reading um, stuff and I think humour's probably a good hook. So who knows, maybe maybe down the track. Mm-hmm. So what's next for you? You know, you've got some novel, you've got potentially a second novel in your head, but I'm sure you're busy with um, television. What's next? Well, we've got another series of The War and Everything to Survive. That's going to be till the end of July. And hopefully we do survive it. <laughs> It's a little bit in dispute at the moment. But, um, so there's that. And then I'm hoping second half of the year to do some writing and really get stuck into the second book. And then the Chaser uh, team's got to sit down and figure out what the next move there is. But I'm hoping to continue to, to blend the two. And I really like being able to kind of juggle the two and have different things going on because doing, doing I think if you do lots of different kinds of writing at the same time, it, 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 it works really well. It just seems to suit me to sort of be a bowerbird rather than doing just focusing on one thing. I kind of like to mix it up. But isn't it a bit schizophrenic? How do you switch hats so quickly? Because you have to, you know, when you write as a journalist, it's one way. When you write as a novelist, it's one way. You know, when you're writing comedy and satire for television, it's a completely different way. How do you, is it easy for you to switch hats like that? What, what do you do? I'm pretty used to it. I mean, I always, I've always done lots of different kinds of writing at once. Um, even for The Chaser, there were lots of different kinds of writing to do in the one newspaper, but I think ultimately, uh, both in a long-term sense, but also in a short-term in terms of how you plan your day, I often think of it in terms of lying fallow. We know with television that we can't, at the end of a series, we're out of ideas, we've got to go away and wait for things to somehow regenerate. And I think, for me anyway, it, it's, it's like that. I couldn't just write fiction all the time, or I'd, I'd, um, I don't know, I'd get bored or I'd, I'd lose my focus. So for me, it's really about working for a very short, intense burst of time and then stopping and doing something else. Mm. And so the, re- the big difference between TV writing, which is very much conceptual in The Chaser, I mean, it's really just, why don't we do this? That's really my um, collaboration. It's entirely ideas rather than actually prose. Mm. So I find that um, kind of a, a, a liberating change. And I think if I had to do either of those things 24-7, I'd probably just run out of ideas and run out of steam. So you need a bit of ADD kind of scenario around you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like going and doing different things. Plus, you've got to read a lot. I mean, I've got yeah. to read lots of current affairs to be able to satirise it. I've yeah. got to know what's going on. And I've got to read lots of fiction, I think, to stimulate the, um, you know, to steal the ideas. But to know, but to, to, to look at how other writers do it. And once you start writing fiction, you start analysing other other. Um, novels in a whole other way. You start looking at, you know, you can see a little bit behind the curtain mm. having done it yourself. So you start analysing how characters introduced and how they're built and wondering about pacing and things like that. So, um, no, I think it's, I, I don't know. I mean, look, I'd love to think that I could just go and sit in a cabin for, for three months and come out with a novel that I'd spent every waking moment working on, but I just don't think that'll work. And I think that the real challenge with becoming a, a fiction writer is to just work out 
what your way of doing it is. There's no right answer. Mm. And just giving into that. So for me, it's all about cafes and short bursts. And um, even though I'd love to be able to work a different way, I'm just grateful that I've found at least one way I can work. The cafe and short burst technique, the cafe and banana bread technique. Exactly. So tell us a bit about the collaborative process of writing sketch comedy. A lot of people would be interested. What happens? You all get together and sit around in a room and just say, you know, how about we do this this week? What happens? Yeah, we have incredibly long creative meetings, basically, that go for um, often, you know, half a day or an entire day. But everyone brings different ideas to the table. So there's draft sketches. Uh, I, I come with these long lists of ideas of, of targets, some of which are immediately dismissed as being rubbish, and some of which people what, not laugh at. I mean, you never know what they're going to like, what, what they're going to um, find funny. Even after all these years, I can't really predict it. Mm. So um, we just often we make things better. So we're very much believers in group brainstorming. So often you're coming with an idea that doesn't quite work and you'll throw it around a bit and um, someone will come with an idea. And if we make each other laugh in the room, our sense of humour is so different that that tends to work on screen. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's really very collaborative. Well, I think the fiction thing was great because it was just a bit, I could actually only answer myself for once. Yeah. Um, which was a great change of pace. So on that note then, finally, what would your advice be to someone out there who's listening to this and thinking, you know, I'd really like to get that, a novel out. I, my, I'd like my first novel, you know, um, to be published. What would your advice be to them to, to get there? Well, for me, it's something I'd thought about for many years and talked about and, um, but never really buckled down and done. And I was a little bit scared, I suppose, because, mm. you know, if, if you can't do it, then you discover that your dream isn't going to work. But for me, it was all about saying, well, okay, um, let's be honest, I'm not going to get up at dawn and write a thousand words before breakfast every morning with a great sense of self-discipline. If only I had that discipline, that'd be great, but I don't. So what do I know will make me actually make me do the work? And for me, that was going and doing a master's degree, which was great because there was, you know, brainstorming and group editing and all this stuff too mm. in that in that class. But it's about, you know, giving into your own rhythms of how you work and when I figured out that cafes worked for me and that having deadlines was necessary then I actually started to get it done and it made all the difference for me so rather than just sitting in my room and, and, and dreaming I just forced myself to do it and that was the only way it was ever going to happen I had to bully myself you know sign up to a procedure whereby if I didn't do it I'd fail a subject and that, that was finally enough to actually make me do the work. That's a very practical approach, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, otherwise, you know, probably for the rest of my life, I've just sat there and gone, oh, look, oh, you know, I could write a novel. Yeah. I've got a thousand words. I started one, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it has to be practical because otherwise you just can't do it. So whether it's comedy or fiction, whichever it is that you're that you're doing at the time, is there some kind of sweet spot or a feeling of satisfaction where you just know, you know, that that works? Or is it something that you actually need feedback on, you know, or, or well, do you know it innately? It's it's different according to the, the genre, I think. I think with fiction, I found it amazingly pleasurable to go and write. And if I had a chapter that I felt worked, I, I was, you know, I loved it. And I was kind of writing it for myself much than anyone else. I didn't know I'd ever get published. Mm. So... Yeah, that was very satisfying purely for myself. With the Chaser stuff, if you think of a funny idea, you know, that's good, but then you've got the fear that other people won't find it funny. And mm. the humor is so subjective. 
um, you really, just because you find something funny, I've got lots of things that I love that I've submitted over the years that only I found amusing. Um, so it's really, yeah, that if it's in comedy, you really need to laugh. Otherwise, you don't have any confidence that it's good. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's quite different according to the, the kind of writing that it is. Well, I have no doubt that Disco Boy is going to be a success and that it will find the sweet spot for a lot of readers out there. So on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Dominic. No worries. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.